Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian, David, and the captain. Yeah, I didn't even know the Goldbacks had a year. I just knew the different states. You oh, know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh, Utah and and you know uh, Nevada, I think. Well, if you're gonna Nevada. make uh, a you know a gold product or a silver product, you might as well stamp a year on it because then you get that collectible value right. factoring into it. Uh, what do they call it numismatic. I think is Numisma- what that's right. Uh, and is what that's this called. is exactly what's happened to Goldbacks mm-hmm. too. Is like uh, they've changed the design on a couple of states from the original issue for that state. And yeah, also like punched it up, right? And also put a year of issue on the goldback. So if you have the original, what was the first year of the Utah? Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen Utah yeah. goldbacks. Like that design is different than the twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three goldbacks. So if you have a set of the originals, they're worth more because of the collectible value, because of the the date stamp on them, and also the difference in design. I wonder, are there any other states in the offing that are planned to, you know, to come along next, or so, maybe we don't know? None of us work for Goldback officially, but... And they um, don't sponsor us, and we talk no. about them incessantly. Yeah, because, but they don't need to. No, you they know, don't. They, they are so popular just by they've word of mouth. They've got their own problems with not being able to keep up with demand. Yeah, they've had to open up new production facilities, and it just the production just keeps... I mean, it, the demand is crazy. So, to answer your question, the way it works, as I understand it, is if you want a state, say Arizona, for instance, to become a goldback state, it has to be sponsored. There has to be somebody who comes up with X amount of dollars to put into buying gold to to produce goldbacks for that state. And the formula, I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it's based on population. So a low population state like a South Dakota isn't going to cost as much as a heavier populated state like i presume arizona is probably a you know few multiples of of south dakota i don't right. know offhand what the the population is down there um so the more population the more expensive the the production run is going to be and so the more somebody has to have you know, some the, deep pockets the more, the more years the goldbacks are out there i get happier and happier because there's no way to pull them back you know it's just precious metal just like when roosevelt tried to take in the gold coins um a whole bunch of them survived, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, right. not, it's not really trackable, you know. It doesn't have a number, a code associated well, with it. Well, they actually it. do have numbers associated with them, but, I mean, they're not trackable in a sort of the traditional sense. You don't know where yeah. X1234 happens to be at any given moment, but they are, each goldback is assigned a unique number. At least, uh, it's not like a mutual fund or a stock fund where they're reporting right. to the government, you know, your gains and losses and your trades and all that. It's just kind exactly. of once it's there. It's it's out there in the public, and I'm so glad that something hasn't happened like that happened to the was it the Peace Dollar and Liberty Ev- Dollar Liberty yeah. Dollar in oh. Evansville, Indiana. They had the, the Ron Paul's image on on that. Where I guess there's still got to be some of those out there, but I think before the big release could happen, they got raided by the feds, and they that kind of shut that down. Well, the, the Liberty Dollar was, uh, was Bernard von Nothaus. Bernard von Nothaus. He was the founder. Uh, he used to work with the Hawaiian Mint, so like you know, he knew his stuff when it came to minting silver pieces and things like that. Uh, it was around for about a decade before they shut it down. I think it started in 1998. It rose to being the most used or the most dollar value or whatever they they were like the biggest alternative currency in the united states yeah at the time when they existed 
Goldback has, by the way, eclipsed that. So the, and I don't remember what the numbers were, but it was something like $5 million worth of uh, the Liberty dollar was in quote unquote circulation. Now we know most of it was just sitting in somebody's safe or in their drawer or whatever. They weren't usually circulating that often, but that's how much had been minted. That's how much had been purchased, that, that kind of thing. And I think goldbacks are like doubling or tripling or quadrupling that or something already after just half, less than half a decade at this point. Whereas uh, Liberty Dollar took a lot longer. And there yeah. are reasons for that. Um, you know, the gold back is just more useful. I mean, it's uh, it's a one. By far. Yeah, yeah, it's one one thousandth of an ounce of gold. And it's uh, for listeners that have not seen this, please go to goldback.com. Check it out. Get yourself one of these They're things gorgeous. from the, the various different dealers uh, that are out there that offer them. And you will, I, I think you'll fall in love with it. And that's why, again, they, they don't have to advertise this thing. But to be able to pull out what is essentially a $4 worth of gold, that's that tends to be what they're trading at uh, right now. And, you know, buy some eggs or buy some milk or, or whatever. You just can't do that even with an ounce of silver because silver is just, you know, an ounce of silver is 25 bucks. And there's only so much that you can do with that. So having it that fractional gold and it's just so attractive with the artwork on it i mean I, we could go on forever about the the beauty yeah you know things. as far as i know where we live in arizona is not in a, a community or an economy where they accept them readily or at least i'm not familiar with businesses but we tr- do try to give them out yeah. or, okay you know, how does that go? birthday presents mm-hmm. and people look at it and it's kind of self-explanatory because mm-hmm. it'll say on it if you give them the one denomination it'll say one one thousandth of an ounce of gold right and you know you can explain it to them but they it's not something they're going to throw away once they understand what it is you know that it's actual gold a little bit more david about your background i mean we've had you as a caller i would say extensively you've sometimes called and we've had hey, you on for great. multiple segments always interesting things to talk about you are the sheriff the elected sheriff of santa cruz county arizona this is a border county it includes nogales correct that's correct it's the um there are four border counties in Arizona that border okay. the state of Sonora, Mexico, and uh, the county where I live has the biggest ports of entry with Mexico. Um, mm. So there's a lot of movement of commerce. Uh, it's estimated that 50% of all fresh fruits and vest- vegetables consumed in the United States during, come through. during the winter comes through that port wow. of entry. That's the big business. And it stands to reason because we live in a northern climate. We don't have a year-round growing season. So if you go to Kroger or Walmart or Aldi's and you're able to get your tomatoes and lettuce and mangoes year-round, it's because of that that uh, cross-border traffic that comes mm-hmm. up here. So it's a, a very important function. It shows how free trade, free enterprise really works. You take advantage of uh, specialties, you know, people have economic advantages. It may be, uh, you know, the access to labor, the access to an ocean where you can get your tilapia or the access to a certain type of terrain that's good for growing berries or apples or vegetables. So um, that's the access point from Central America and Mexico for all the fresh fruits and vegetables to, that come to the U.S. And when people talk about we don't need Mexico. Let's just shut it down. We can produce everything we need in the United States. It's very naive um, because they don't know how much we depend on, you know, uh, even if you're a build-the-wall Republican, you know, you want to go get your head of lettuce and you want to get your tomato and you want to get your oranges when you want them. And that comes from free international trade. And another thing that's done right across the, the line there in Mexico 
is what's called the maquiladora in industry. And I've heard Mark talk something about the maquilas, you know, in other countries. But what it is, it's a zone where it's kind of like a duty-free zone. Oh, really? Um, and it's for assembly plants, mainly run by U.S. companies mm-hmm. in Mexico that are constrained uh, by regulatory agencies on what they can do in the U.S. So what little is left of the U.S. automotive industry depends on this maquiladora industry, which create uh, the wiring har- harnesses and other subcomponents for the U.S. automotive industry, and mm-hmm. those things are shipped into the U.S. so that they can ultimately say made in the U.S. Um, for, <laughs> assembled for, in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. assembled in the U.S. So yeah. it's the the, uh, the county has a unique history. My family is a ranching family. Uh, they moved there from um, from Dodge City, Kansas, to Tombstone, Arizona, in the 1800s. Before Arizona was a state, Arizona became a state in 1912. So I have ranching property in two counties in Arizona, Santa Cruz County and Cochise County. Um, and then in 1912, those properties were officially homesteaded when Arizona became a state, but they were owned. Uh, my family still had deeds to those properties before Arizona became a state. And there were some hmm. Spanish land grants that used to be part of Mexico, yeah. part of Spain before that. And those were also honored. But it, as most of those Western states, there's a whole lot that's just government property that's bombing ranges, right. um, you know, uh, Department of the Interior, Bureau of Land Management, Forest Service. There's Indian reservations out there. So um, n- not... A, a large amount of Arizona is privately owned, which is is too bad. But well, and that's true of a lot of places west of the Mississippi, isn't it? I mean, right. we we usually cite the statistic: it's two thirds is federal, quote unquote, property when you look west of the Mississippi, and that's right. probably it sounds like that's true or more so in in Arizona. Yeah, I I have properties out there that are completely surrounded by federal land, so wow. it's kind of in a way, it's a. Uh, it's a unique, beneficial situation that I can pretty much do what I want and uh, not have neighbors complaining. But on the other hand, if the feds have you hemmed in, they could basically shut you off from from polite society. Also, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if they decided to come in and raise you or surround thought. you or do some Ruby Ridge type of a thing. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I enjoy living out there. Like I feel kind of lost out here in New England. Um, well, this is be- your first time. I don't know if we mentioned that on the air. <laughs> yeah, it's this- my first time in New England. Yeah. And when we were driving yesterday from Boston, it was overcast and it was raining. And yep. in Arizona, I'm used to always knowing which direction I'm facing. Like there's large mountains, like there's a mm-hmm. 9,000 foot mount- mountain range yeah. to, to the north of the town I live in, Nogales. And the big city next to us is Tucson. And there's other uh, 9,000 foot mountain range on the north side of Tucson. So you can always kind of tell which way you're heading, north, mm-hmm. south, east, or west. Plus, you can always see the sun out there, too. So I can tell yeah. it's morning. That must be east. I got Chris on the line here, and he's a podcast listener. Chris, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Yeah, Ian, I I really want to say thank you because uh, this show, hearing you guys every night, it's really changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've always kind of been an anarchic kind of person, you know, no government and all that. But it was the discussions of personal responsibility and stuff like that. I never heard anything like that anywhere. And at the time that I found your show was 2007. I was working at Wendy's making nothing an hour trying to struggle and survive. Mm -hmm. And I'm now a business owner. Mm -hmm. I 
make decent money because I finally took charge of my life. Nice. And That's awesome. I, I, I it, it was you and Mark and just, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I struggle to, to express myself sometimes. Okay. Um, but you know, listening to you guys and, and you get going back and forth and the the topics that you guys talked about it, it it brought to mind that I can't let anybody control my life. I can't hope that something's going to happen and so, uh, somehow somebody's going to hand me what I need. And you know now I. I and, do well. You know, Chris, and that's the American dream. You know, if you look at uh, supposedly the principle this country was founded on, and it can work. You know, we don't need uh, an outsider to come in and tell us how to run our life or provide us resources. And the ones that purport to do that are all taking a cut off the top of anything they take from everyone <laughs> else. And then, you know, I'm I'm a sheriff, but even a sheriff or a sheriff's office is not a market creation. You know, there's this uh, saying that people vote with their dollars. They vote with their money and they get more of what they want. They get more of what benefits society and they get less of things that harm society. So even something like a sheriff's office, people want to act like that's a revered institution, but that's not a market creation. Uh, People didn't vote with their dollars and say, we want this um, number of deputy sheriffs. It's just a local government entity pulls a number out of the air, but maybe it would be less, maybe it would be more, or maybe everybody would want to handle their own security or they would want options for security services. So you're exactly right. It's not just a utopian pipe dream. Um, if the leeches would leave us alone, we would all be able to help each other more, and the, those price signals would function. People would get more of what really benefits society. No doubt. Chris, I'm really glad we were able to help you, um, you know, take more responsibility for your life. 16 years he's been listening? 16 years, is that right? Wow. That's uh, amazing. And so what's the business that you do, if you don't mind saying? Like, what you you went from being, uh, you know, working at Wendy's for X amount an hour, and now you're doing something I presume you love to do? Uh, Yeah, I'm an uh, owner-operator truck driver. That's great. Oh, great. Thank thank you for your service, by the way. Indeed, yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, are you on the road right now? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. You do uh, cross country? And for the most part. Mm-hmm. I tend to stay pretty regional, but I do end up just about everywhere. I've actually been not too far from Keene at times, and it's a beautiful country up there. And I, 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 I'm going to be up there in about four years when my daughter turns 18. So. Nice. Right. Cool. Uh, we don't have a lot of truck stops in Keene, unfortunately, but uh, they do come through here, so there must be somewhere they're they're parking uh, on occasion. Uh, Chris, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing you. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Uh, no, just uh, good luck with everything on Monday. So we were talking about you as the sheriff, uh, David, from Arizona down in Santa Cruz County. And you were just about to tell us about this sheriff's association that has, you know, all 15 sheriffs, their members— of it, what were you going to say about them? Yeah, the uh, the president is typically whoever is the biggest neocon in the association okay. gets elected to the status of president. And then he will draft letters, statement letters from the whole organization and send them out as if 
they are being authored or as if they are position statements from for all of the, for all the fifteen sheriffs in Arizona. Um, and, are you a member of this organization? Yeah, just by default. Okay. You know, everyone's just kind of a member, and you get on the email list and all that. Um, I think I could probably pull out of that organization, but it's kind of neat to get their emails and see, see what, what they're, they're up saying. to. But one of the ones, let me just give you an example, Ian. Um, there was a very noble uh, effort in the Arizona legislature to kind of modify the civil asset forfeiture rules that says there has to be an underlying crime charged and there has to be a conviction before you can forfeit an asset, a car, a money, okay. or anything. Good. So so what it did, and it just changed very few words, and it said there must be an underlying conviction. Now, the money could be seized or the asset pending the proof of guilt for this individual. So let me say, let's say, um, Captain, you went and robbed the 7-Eleven, and you got $100. And then there's vi- Ooh, rich. <laughs> video footage of you committing this act. Somebody chases you down and ret- retrieves the $100 out of the car. So under this new modified law, there's an underlying crime. They could charge you with the crime if, if uh, 7-Eleven was willing to be uh, put themselves down as the victim and, you know, and sign a complaint. And then that money would be held until you were convicted and you were found guilty. And then it could be forfeited and used as restitution to pay back 7-Eleven. But what it would not allow the government to do is what they're doing now. Even at the southwest border, even at the Mexican border in the town where I live, um, CBP is now searching vehicles that are leaving the U.S. So you have U.S. agents, U.S. authorities searching cars as they leave. So it's kind of like an East Berlin-type scenario. You know, if you build a wall... Then it's not only going to keep people from coming in, but it's going to keep you from leaving. Like if you want to expatriate and take your gold coins or your money and go live in Mazatlan or Acapulco or something like that, right. they will actually take your money. Wow. And then with no underlying crime, not charging you with a crime, and require you to claim that back and then prove that it's legitimate income, prove, you know, uh, you know, IRS paperwork or something to show that you legitimately right. They, they turn around and put the burden of proof on you instead of the yeah. burden of proof on them as to whether or not a crime has been committed. Yeah. So say, you know, I have nine kids. Say somebody kidnapped uh, one of my nine kids and then they wanted ransom and I paid them $10,000 ransom. Well, yeah. if somebody was to retrieve that money, there is an underlying crime. That person could be charged with kidnapping. The money could re- be retrieved. Uh, and then the case would go through the courts right. and see if this person is actually guilty, if that really is my money, and then the money bill would be paid back. So back to the Sheriff's Association, um, they called me personally and badged me, badgered me, emailed me saying, we have to have this be a unanimous letter, a statement to the legislature, to the governor, that we can't do this. And the letter was so goofy, it said, this is a very important source of funding for all of our operations, for our drug task forces. We rely on what this is, money. civil asset forfeiture? Civil asset forfeiture okay. money wow. with, without an underlying conviction. And all the modification to the law said, it wasn't undoing the law, it mm-hmm. just added language to say, there must be an underlying crime charged and a conviction before the money can be forfeited. But they pestered me and said, look, this has to be unanimous. We have to all <laughs> sign this. And then I wouldn't agree to it, obviously. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You could just go grab somebody's money. Hey, you got a bag of money there. I'm going to take it. And um, the only way for you, you have to file a bond if you want to contest this and you have to hire your own attorney at your sure. own expense to prove that this is yours. So 
all this did was undo that. The cops mm-hmm. still have the ability to take your money, but they have to charge an underlying crime. So seems the, like a completely reasonable change yeah. to that uh, to that law. Indeed. And and actually, fortunately, the change went through. The okay, legislature good. passed it, and the governor signed it. Um, against the wishes of the Sheriff's Association in Arizona. I just think that's just so disgusting, you know, and how could any of them claim that they're kind of any freedom-loving sheriff or standing up for the Constitution or innocent until proven guilty? Right. We have Skeeter on the line in California. Go ahead, Skeeter. It's your favorite uh, evolutionary capitalist, your boy, young Skeeter. You're definitely not our favorite anything, as far as I'm concerned. But you're not my uh, boy. Yeah, go ahead. What are you it's calling about? Favorite evolutionary capitalist. You have an evolutionary capitalist. Maybe it's you, maybe you're your favorite one, but uh, you don't get to tell us what our favorites are. Okay, Whatever. I reject the okay, premise, so, so therefore yeah. I don't have a favorite. So we'll name another evolutionary capitalist. You have. What were you calling about? Uh, by default, I'm favorite. Okay, I'm I'm calling about war. So, so uh, that would also you know, make you the worst it. one as well. If we're going to be saying that, but uh, go yeah, ahead. Technically, yeah. What about war? <laughs> But I'm tired of you guys uh, perpetuating the fallacy. Get to that your reason for calling, yeah. please. What was it? Yeah, I'm tired of you guys perpetuating the fallacy that war is the health of the state when it's things like conventional war and the drug war that actually destroy the state. A true market runs on profit, not on rights. And that's why war and government spending leads the to the drug war destroys the state. Well, we actually have a former DEA. <laughs> Uh, agent sitting in the studio here with us. And I don't know, maybe, David, you have uh, some thoughts on Skeeter's claim, which he has made before, uh, that he believes that the war on drugs is somehow destroying the state. Well, actually, the state is deeply embedded in the war on drugs and profits from it. One of the unfortunate things I realized while I was part of the war on drugs and doing the investigation into the Kiki Camarena murder in Mexico is that actually the CIA perpetuated that murder. I interviewed CIA pilots and it actually turned to be a very dark, strange story that Rafael Caro Quintero, that was the one that was blamed for that operation, was actually renting Rancho Veracruz, his ranch in Mexico, as an airstrip to be used for transshipment of uh, guns to the uh, Iran Contras in uh, Central America, in Nicaragua. Mm. In direct violation of U.S. law, where U.S. the Congress had passed a law saying that no funding could go to fund the Contras, and they were shipping cocaine to the U.S., also using that as a waypoint along the way to the U.S., where uh, the the federal government does profit immensely. If you read books by Gary Webb about the uh, cocaine trafficking in um, Southern California that was uh, the drugs funded by and sold by... um, uh, CIA operatives, um, something I have often recommended that somebody should do under a freedom of information request is go to the DEA and ask for, under a freedom of information request, the International Controlled Delivery Logbook. It's called the ICD Logbook. Since the DEA, the A stands for administration, this is supposed to be the place where all drug activity uh, is consolidated, all drug investigations consolidated for the federal government. We go to Ricky. He's in uh, the Commonwealth, PA. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, brother Ian. See, Take now you're always time. calm. Ricky's always taking it easy. He's always got the slow foghorn, <laughs> leghorn sort of cadence that he likes to follow. Yeah, brother Cap- is that Brother Captain? It is, yeah. He's here, yes. Pretty, and also David pretty good impression. 
Uh, not, sure. That's exactly it. Brother, I'm sorry, Sheriff Halfaway. It's yeah. a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, and you can call me brother, too. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you there, Brother Hathaway. Actually, I've been looking for this opportunity. When you first were taking calls, I never got the opportunity. I wanted to talk to you about something. You're here, man. That's Go right. ahead. Okay. Now, I don't know if you ever heard any of my calls, but see, uh, I'm going to be running for office in 2025, and I take uh, the stance, and I have said on the air, uh, that I am going to blow, make possible blowing away the Consti U.S. Constitution for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in one term, if elected. Now, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, what you think of uh, doing that when it comes to Pennsylvania. I'm running for District 189 in the PA House. You know, of course, I don't like any words like blowing away or smashing <laughs> or anything like that. You know, I believe in... Well, that's the one thing about my rallies. They're, unlike uh, Mr. Trump and his Second Amendment, there's going to be lots of guns in my rallies. Yeah, okay. well, you know, as long as you're looking for a peaceful, you know, voluntary solution to whatever problems you see in society. You know, I, I don't see a problem with that. But I've I've heard on your last few calls a tendency towards more what sounded like violence or force what nah, sounded like. That, a, I've only to clear that up. That was a misunderstanding okay. by Miss Bonnie. See, I do wear the battle flag and the battle flag has significance. It will be peaceful. I mean, uh, as far as the PA house blowing it away, I mean, I know I'm going to accomplish doing that. Now, at, after that, I can't say that what the federal government will necessarily do. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's no sense blowing it away if we're going to say you still have claim to the land. Yeah, can you just boil it down in a few, wor few words? What kind of a political perspective you have? What kind of a label would you put on yourself? I think I've heard you use words like Confederate, Democrat, or different things well, I'll like that. I'll make it, you're real I'll short, make it simple like, for you. I'll yeah. make it for, simple for you, Brother Hathaway. Now, I'm a Jeffersonian. Uh, unlike previous Jeffersonians that have ran for office, I am an extremist, just like Jefferson was. Uh, and I, you know, I, I believe in the legalization of all narcotics. I'm against the soliciting laws. I am for open borders and a lot of other things. Now, as far as things go, I am a Democrat, but I'm a Democrat, say, of 160, 65 years ago with you know, uh, you know, my insight using Jefferson as a template for written and unwritten constitutionality. Yeah. Does that clear anything up for you? Well, uh, no, but, David? you know, when you say about the Democrats of old, I remember when I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, the De Democrats were very different. They were anti-war. Yeah. And yeah. I remember when Bill and Hillary Clinton were in their college age, they were uh, Vietnam War protesters, so the Democrat ah, the Party, good old days. yeah, used to be anti-war before Hillary became a war hawk as Secretary of State, and mm. they were also uh, against the drug war. Um, both Hillary mm. and and Bill Clinton were were protesters of the early iteration of the drug war, and they were in they favor. Changed of, their tune on that, didn't they? Yeah, freedom of speech. Where college campuses were bastions of free speech back in those days, in the days when Hillary and Bill were we're going to college, you know, they, yeah, you can be anything. You can be a Christian, you can be a Nazi, you can be whatever, a hippie, and you can have a voice on a college campus. But it seems like those days of the Democratic Party have gone away. So like you say, I, I have seen those changes in the, in the philosophy of the Democrat Party, and it's going more towards, I guess, what you'd call the uniparty. 
How did you do in the general once you made it to, you know, whoever Republican that they knew was going to lose or yeah, whatever? There was, there was a, um, an independent in the general election. Oh, and they not did, even a Republican? They don't even bother? No, they didn't. <laughs> this time, there's also six candidates. Uh, and an article in my hometown paper just came out today with uh, with an article. This time you mean you're running for re-election right, right now? now. Okay. Even though okay. the election's not till next year. It's a oh, okay. four-year term. And this is very early. Most mm-hmm. people file in the election year. But there's already six candidates. Wow. And there is a Republican this time. There's okay. four Democrats, one independent, and one Republican. So um, it's going to be – but we're going to do the same thing. And I don't care if I win yeah. or lose. You know, sure. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. My hopes and dreams aren't tied up in doing yeah, this. Yeah. You know, like um, – I'd rather go out and work on the ranch anyway, mm. work on the well, fix fences, cut firewood. That's that's what I enjoy doing. But uh, so, you know, it's not a concern for me. So how did and, you do against the independent guy in the, um, in the general? I uh, can't remember. Very, you know, they very, very few votes. There's hardly any Republicans in the county. Mm-hmm. So uh, the people that voted for me in the primary. You blew them away. Basically. Yeah, so, yeah. So to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As Ricky would say. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I want to come back to the Sheriff's Association because it sounded like there oh, yeah. was more to that story. You said they came to you, they had this letter that they wanted you to sign on to because they needed all 15 sheriffs, and the letter was against, or rather, it was against the change to the civil asset forfeiture law, which ended up happening. The change right. happened, and so now they have to convict so, somebody. Ultimately, they issued the letter. They sent it to the governor. They sent it to all the legislators. Even though you didn't sign it. Even though I didn't sign mm-hmm. it, and it didn't. Show a list of signatures. Uh, it sort of suggested unanimity, mm. sort of suggested that it came from all the sheriffs in Arizona, but I never signed on to it. Hey, Daily Digestion listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy, so I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. You are a principled, liberty-minded guy. I mean, I don't know if you would describe yourself as libertarian, but you certainly wrote the book on libertarian immigration policy. You actually were a former advertiser of Free Talk Live. Tell us a little bit about the that book. Yeah, I would describe myself as a voluntarist. I, I like that word. And what bothered me is kind of during the Ron Paul Revolution, I found out about the Mises Institute. And I would read all the, you know, Rothbard and Hans-Hermann Hoppe and uh, you know, yeah. all the Ludwig von Mises and all that. And it bothered me that these people seem to be, most of them, principled anarchist, you know, anarcho-capitalists, that they didn't want the government involved in any way in their life. And it was odd to me that multiple ones of them, of what I would call the uh, Austro-libertarians, were in favor of state-controlled borders. <laughs> yeah. And it still bothers me to this day. I still mm-hmm. hear some of those people, my heroes, my friends, that you know, I've, I've hung out with them, sure. I've gone out to dinner with them, still saying that Border Patrol's not getting enough money, we need to take the, the money from the war in Ukraine and spend it on Border Patrol. And I, I think, like, wait a minute, you guys, uh, you, you have studied these economic textbooks that talk about how you know price signals 
are the secret to everything, you know, for people getting what they need. The government doesn't know. Central planning never works. The right. government can't tell you what you need. And yet, when it comes to borders, they want to become these macroeconomic central planners and decide how much labor you need, how much, you know, merchandise you need crossing borders. And the way I look at it, like I own land, you know, right near the uh, U.S.-Mexican border. Okay. Like, um, to me, you know, uh, border issues should be purely based on economic considerations, private property. Like, I have private property near the border. I should be able to rent a house to a Mexican if I want. Yes. You know, it's a voluntary interaction, or I should be able to hire a Mexican from Mexico to work in my business or to work on, you know, my ranch. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I should, just for social purposes, I should be able to invite somebody across the border to come onto my property. So, um I I didn't know why why they took that position. So what I did is this book that Ian's talking about. It's talking. It's called uh, Immigration um, Private versus National Borders, and I dissect every argument that's used by these Austrian libertarians, which would unfortunately include people like uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Murray Rothbard, Lou Rockwell, yeah. Ron Paul. People who are my heroes, yeah. and, and I love to read things they've written, but they came down hard on, on on the status position on immigration and on borders. But that's not every Austrian economist right. economist is like that. Like Bob Higgs, he lives in Mexico. He's uh, one of the fellows at the Mises he's Institute. One of my heroes, like and, and as far as writing and stuff. Yeah, is he's concerned. excellent yeah. on that, and I have some of his quotes in my book. So why but, is the the blind spot there with these people? I mean, it just seems such an obvious oversight. How can they be so wrong? when they're otherwise very principled individuals. I I hate to say, I hate to use the R word, I hate to say racism, because I would want these people, in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. they're not my heroes. Racist. I want them yeah. to be, you know, principled. But if you look if you look in depth at some of the things they've said, uh, they talk a lot about cultural destruction and about Northern mm-hmm. Europe um, uh, needs to have enforced borders and things that are based on, uh, you know, Western, Western society, Western civilization, um, kind of an argument suggesting that some sort of cultural pollution is going to bring down, you know, Western civilization and that these people may not know better. These Northern Europeans uh, may be inviting to immigrants, but they don't know that this is going to destroy their culture. And those arguments are just mind boggling to me. So I go through that book. If you look at the table of contents in that book, it goes through every one of the issues that is raised by these Austro-Libertarians like Hans Hermann Hoppe, for example. This is just one of the things, you know, there's uh, one of his things is suggesting that we should have a king, um, a Democrat elected leader that acts like a king, that that says for the good of the country, I need to treat the whole country as my territory. And these people are... Uh, because of their time preferences or because of their proclivity for certain lifestyles, they shouldn't be welcome in this country and we mm. should exclude them. And it's like, it's very weird that on every other area, even in his own writings, he's against central planning. And he says that, you know, collectivism never works. Uh, except. He, except in this one. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And and there are, you know, economic principles um, uh, like there's... Uh, Plus, aren't uh, they ignoring... The, the Pareto principle, yeah. uh, and he—it's that you can have a Pareto inferior and Pareto superior. Pareto what is the Pareto? What is and the it's a—it's an economic rule saying if somebody is benefited, um, and if you have a transaction where only 
uh, where at least one side benefits and nobody's harmed, that's considered to be a Pareto superior transaction. Isn't the principal thing to do to just say, let's get rid of welfare? I like to use this exact analogy from my DEA days. We would notice that the the drug suppliers would increase their shipments on the first day of the month because that's when the welfare checks came in. So yep. <laughs> let's just say, for example, a little thought experiment that you didn't have a drug war yet, but you noticed that the drug supply increases when the welfare checks come in. It's like saying we have a problem caused by one government program, so let's solve it by creating another government program, right. a drug war. Let's start a drug war mm. to deal with the problems that are caused by the welfare checks coming in. You know, what's the saying? Idle hands is the devil's workshop. Okay, yeah. You know, it's kind of like saying, well, the the uh, the welfare checks are causing a drug problem. Right. So let's start a drug war to deal with that. Why not just get rid of the first government program that caused the problem? Yeah, well, and people frequently mistake the state for a charity organization mm-hmm. when it comes to things like welfare. It is not. Uh, in fact, it takes money from people, keeps a hefty chunk off the top for themselves sure. and other friends, and then maybe a little bit might trickle down to somebody who actually needs it. Yeah, it's like the opposite, basically, of uh, an actual charitable organization as far as uh, Mary Ruart, I think, addresses this in her book, Healing Our World, Love that where book. you look at a charitable organization and typically you're seeing maybe... 80 to 90% of the money they take in from donations is going to the actual purpose, right. whether it's helping poor people or whoever it is. They, the people who are intended to be helped are getting 80 to 90%, 10 to 20% might be being kept for administrative costs, sure. paying people, paying the rent or whatever. Uh, whereas with the government, it's more like 20% or 10% goes to the people who quote unquote need help and 80% and goes 80% to is going to the justifying their existence right? uh, because yeah. you don't have the choice and that's the key difference between charity and the government is with a charity you get to choose whether or not to support them based on their works and what they show as far as results and yeah. with the government if their works are terrible and their results are garbage you still have to be uh, you have to you're forced to pay for them or they'll throw you in a cage yeah and that's right? like a lot many people have the argument of well, I care about the poor, so I want to pay my tax. It's like, well, okay, if you really cared about the poor, you would uh, come to the conclusion that, you know, through you know, doing your own research, yeah. that uh, actual charity would provide more benefit to these people than mm-hmm. relying on government assistance. Yeah, and just do the direct direct assistance yourself, get the 100% benefit, yep. and you could personally identify where the needs are. And if you wanted to have some verification process, you're helping a person get back on their feet, helping them to get a job, you know, help them to to get reestablished, you know, in and, society. And if this person goes, well, I just let government handle that for me. Well, now you're outsourcing your responsibility, right? Yeah, yeah you don't care. You don't actually care about the yeah. poor. You just want to think that you care about the poor because somebody's taking money out of your wallet. So, uh, speaking of uh, some poor people, Nigeria is not particularly known as a uh, a wealthy country. Uh, however, it may be on you know an upswing over time because the people of Nigeria are actually the most interested in Bitcoin more so than the entire rest of the world. There are more people who have purchased Bitcoin as a percentage of the population in Nigeria, in Nigeria than anywhere else on the I was planet. Not aware of that? Yeah, that's a that's a fact. I think it is over a third. The last I checked, I don't know where it is right now. It's been a couple of years since I looked it's at It's not numbers. because of that email I got about the Nigerian <laughs> king leaving me some money, is it? No, I think it's like legitimate purchases. Oh, okay. of, I wonder uh, what their Bitcoin. currency 
was that they were using or if they used multiple currencies. When I lived in South America, a lot of times there were multiple currencies. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in two landlocked countries, Bolivia and Paraguay, and the dollar was used. And yep. there was the Guarani in Paraguay, the Boliviano in Bolivia, the Real in Brazil, Argentinian peso. And it was kind of neat. There was like a market uh, for currencies. And uh, usually the currencies of the individual country wasn't strong enough or they didn't have the ability to compel usage of their currency. So mm-hmm. I wonder in Nigeria, what, did was it a, a currency from their own country that was Excellent question. That's actually what we're going to be getting into here is what has happened in Nigeria to the Naira, which is what their currency is called over there. Uh, earlier in this year, in this article from Mises Institute, which we were just talking about a few moments ago, uh, gets into the... The chaos, I think, for lack of a better term, uh, in Nigeria in, I think, February of this year, and they'll explain what happened, where there were literally people in the streets with all kinds of implements destroying bank-related property. So bank ATMs, banks, you know, storefronts, windows, uh, signage, all kinds of just absolute destruction going on in the streets of basically all the cities all across Nigeria, and it has to do with what the government was doing to the uh, to the money. According to Mises.org, that's M-I-S-E-S dot org, they say it's no coincidence, and by the way, this is Jan M. Fijor writing this, that Nigeria, with a population over two, of over 200 million, became the first serious global testing ground for central bank digital currency implementation. Not only is it the wealthiest country on the continent where the globalists are making plans. But Nigeria also possesses significant hydrocarbon and metals reserves and talented citizens. For these reasons, it can serve as a relatively good example for the rest of the poorest continents. Geopolitical considerations are not insignificant. The Davos globalists, who've been present in Nigeria for some time, feel that if they do not take care of Nigeria, the Russians... uh, present there since the Soviet era uh, era will do it. Political interests in Nigeria are also being sought after by the Chinese, who have been building railways, roads, airports, and mining companies in Nigeria while simultaneously cultivating good relationships with tribal and political leaders. And of course, we know that China is also in the process of implementing a CBDC. They do have it, but it hasn't been rolled out across the entirety of China quite yet. So here's a timeline of the establishment of the what is called the E-Naira. So the Naira is the Nigerian currency, N-A-I-R-A. And so the E-Naira is the electronic Nigerian central bank digital currency. Although the attempt to digitize the Nigerian currency ended in failure, it carries a lesson for the rest of the world. On October 25th of 2022, so about a year ago, one year after the national referendum on the establishment of the CBDC in Nigeria in which 99.5% of the citizens voted against digitalizing the currency. That's, that's important. Like, most people didn't want this. <laughs> <laughs> then the president of the country, Muhammadu Buhari, from the Fulani tribe, issued a decree that despite the opposition of the majority of the nation, the financial revolution would still take place. So even though you didn't want it, we're going to do it anyway because we're the state. Yeah, and now that's interesting because I didn't realize that was true about the CBDC in Nigeria. Nigeria. I didn't know they actually had had a vote on this thing. But they're going to shove it down their throat anyway. Because remember when we talked about it, it was only like half a percentage of the portion of the population was even using the CBDC. So not only did the vote 
translate it the vote completely translated into reality like they were unable to sell even an extra 0.5 percent of the nigerian population on adopting this thing even after it came out to be fair this happens in the u.s as well when i was in the seattle washington area they destroyed whatever dome sports dome was there mm. uh they took a vote before they destroyed it of course they took a vote like how many people want the new sports facility and everybody's like nope to pay x billion yeah, dollars like it's right? gonna your taxes Taxpayer. are gonna go up and yeah. you know and everybody voted it down and it happened anyway. i can think wow. of a couple examples of that uh my county wanted to adopt this 75 page model um health uh, ordinance yeah. that had you know farmers markets had food had to be prepared in a commercial kitchen. Oh, they had a public God, comment right. period. Every single person, including us, yeah. was opposed to the idea. There mm. was not one person that was in favor of it. But since the health department presented the document to the board of supervisors, they went with it anyway, and they passed it. another example. The city that that we live near, Nogales, Arizona, wanted to annex my family's ranch and a bunch of other property uh, around us. Um, they had a public comment period. Yeah. Nobody was in favor of it. I spent ten thousand dollars of my own money doing billboards and advertising and radio interviews to oppose it. Yeah, and we eventually got it shut down. But when wow. nobody was in favor of it. The government went ahead and did it anyway, like they had public comment period. No comments in favor of annexation. Went ahead with the plan anyway. Sorry. Same, same thing happened here with the Bearcat years ago, oh, a decade yeah. ago, where 80 to 90 percent were on the record against this. That's what the city councilors were saying. They were getting 80 to 90 percent of their contacts were against the Bearcat, which is a tank, basically. It is. The, that's an armored personnel carrier for the police. And they passed it overwhelmingly just because the cops wanted it. Everyone that spoke at the... Uh, council meeting about it spoke against it with the exception of the police (laughs) that's literally how that went anyway uh so back to nigeria in december of 2022 the government in abuja launched a total attack on cash the situation resembled events from 2016 in india where the the government demonetized the highest denomination banknotes so that's like when the u.s government in the name of the war on drugs if i recall correctly took out the $500 and the $1,000 notes. Right. That happened uh, a long time ago. That was what, like 70s or something like that? I don't even know when they did that. It was, it was a before long time, my maybe 45, 50 years, something yeah. like that. Um, so they did the same thing uh, there where they just got rid of the higher level banknotes just to make currency even more you know, useless and frustrating for people. Uh, they announced that by the end of January of 2023... And to supposedly prevent inflation. If you can't have more zeros on your money, then it'll retain its value. I don't think that was the given reason for it. Uh, but by the end of supposedly. January 2023, and that was later extended to February 10th, Nigeria would fully transition from physical cash to e-Naira, the central bank's digital currency. Speaking of digital wallets, like... I checked my on on my phone today, my online Wells Fargo account mm-hmm. today, just to make sure that they didn't do as they've done before, like shut off my card if I'm on a trip or something right, like that. Yeah. Because oh, you're outside of your normal area, you shouldn't be able to, you know, spend, we're protecting spend your money. you. But anyway, so I hadn't looked at it in a while, and on the menu bar, there was a new option called digital wallet, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, they think mean? there may be some weirdos out there that have heard of this Bitcoin thing. You know, they've heard of the blockchain. So maybe people will get enticed into thinking digital wallet has some like magic cachet to it. So, you know, I went and read about it and Mm -hmm. all it is is just spending your regular dollars and then just your phone generates a QR code that you can slap. Oh, it's the tap and scan. Yeah, Yeah. but but it's Uh. like they, 
they know people have heard this, like maybe you're kind of living on the wild side if you have a digital <laughs> wallet, but it's nothing different than, uh, than you know, like the, a Venmo where, or something. Where, yeah, yeah, Venmo or where mm-hmm. you just tap your phone or use your debit card with the chip in it. And they all just that. updated but, the app a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. they I, there's this kind of sense that, well, maybe we're doing it too. Maybe kind of like you know we're doing blockchain too right, over here yeah. at Wells Fargo, but it's the you same. Know they're not. It's the same Federal Reserve money that they're pumping out, and they have no limits. You know the fractional reserve banking. That's just the beta for the upcoming uh, U.S. CBDC. Yeah, that digital wallet. You know it is well, right. and, infrastructure, and it's nothing like a digital wallet. But they know people have heard that. They yeah. know people have watched the news and think, "Oh, what is this mysterious new thing that the youngins are talking about?" Yeah, you the know? politicians in the media have done a really good job of confusing people by using terminology like digital wallet. Yeah, instead Blockchain, of yeah. crypto wallet, right? Yeah. So like people can conf- conflate the two because they're oh. Well, Bitcoin's a digital currency. It's well, already okay. happening where the, the mainstream media, when talking about CBDCs, will use the term cryptocurrency interchangeable right. with a CBDC. Oh, and yeah. that is not what the C's no. in CBDC yeah. stands for. Right. Yeah. It's central bank digital currency. They have complete control over it. You mentioned a beta of the CBDC. Well, that's what is going on in Nigeria, right? Yeah. So they have a CBDC. They rolled it out. Yep. And they tried the maximum force kind of push of the cbdc just i think they just wanted to see what would happen sure like are are these people going to rise up when we force them to use the cbdc and software we call this a test bed yeah Yeah. and they and they did and it's a big test bed 200 million people in the rich apparently the richest country in africa this was a big move by these central bankers it didn't work because the people in Africa would not put up with this. They want to, you know, buy food for their family. Turns out people want that sort of thing. And they were willing to go and literally smash up the banks. Go look up the footage of this. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, some of the stuff that we saw happening. So they're not going to want this to happen in the United States. Yeah, it's okay? kind of why I think it, when I've seen and I've lived in third world countries that had competing currencies all around them, when it's kind of good when not one currency is is in control. So, so dominant and so in control yeah. and so overwhelmingly in use. Even some of those little third world countries, their currency could completely fail and has completely failed, like yeah. in Latin America. And they can easily adopt the currency of the neighboring country or dollars or something mm-hmm. else or yen or whatever, euros, whatever's out there. Right. All those things circulate like in South America. But a country like the U.S. that has more of a death grip on, you know, legal tender laws and, and right. the banking system and, you know, KYC, you know, your customer and all this and the ability to uh, to drop the OFAC bomb, you know, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, where they mm-hmm. can just declare a banking institution to be suspect because of some partnering uh, institution that has another country and they can just... Uh, shut down banking institutions very sure. easily. Yep. Um, and then, you know, if that happened in the U.S., I don't think people would just readily shift to using the euro or they wouldn't even know there's that know option. How. But yeah. other foreigners are used to doing that. Right. That's a good point. And also that's the reason why the U.S. federal government gang is going so hard against cryptocurrency because it is an alternative. Mm-hmm. People are learning about it. They are adopting it slowly. It, it is as easy as downloading an app and figuring out how to operate yeah. that app. But they see the threat from that, and they know it's a real threat to the dominance of the dollar within the United States. Now, the dollar is being threatened its dominance on the world stage, and that's a whole different matter, and we've yeah. talked about BRICS and all that. But let's focus a little more on Nigeria here. So why do they do this? Why, after 108 days of this experiment of trying to force people to use the e-Naira, did they change it? 
he says here at uh, Mises.org, was the president, the new president, forced to do so by overseers of the experiment from the IMF, the Fed, or the World Economic Forum? If so, why did it take them three and a half months to condemn 100 million people to starvation? Political observers in Abuja believe that no one intervened. President Bola Tinubu put an end to the experiment and stuck to his position. Once he invalidated the CBDC, he ordered an investigation into the Central Bank of Nigeria, resulting in the unprecedented detention of the former CBN governor, Godwin Emifil. And on June 10th of this year, oh, sorry, he was arrested on June 10th. In late July, the court released him from custody, but the security service rearrested him and is holding him in custody. Chase Bank, one of the largest Probably top three, I think it's number two or something like that, banks in yep. the United States uh, recently sent out a notice to all of their customers saying, for your protection, <laughs> we're going to be prohibiting you from buying cryptocurrency with your Chase Bank account if you feel the need to buy crypto. But we recommend against it because there's a lot of fraud and scams in crypto. They literally say this in this. I don't have the exact terms, but I'm yeah. paraphrasing it. Well, if you do insist on buying crypto, you'll have to find another bank in order to do that. And so, of course... This will likely happen with more of the big banks, but at a CBDC level, they'll just simply block any transactions to Kraken or Coinbase or, you know, you name it, whatever uh, known cryptocurrency exchanges are out there. And, of course, they'll still still be putting into prison people like the Crypto Six and Mark uh, Hopkins and these other people who are doing what you call peer to peer uh, sales of cryptocurrency so they're going to keep this crackdown going i think you're absolutely right david that uh, cbdc will be prohibited from uh being used from for buying its competition well and of course uh they will say that well you don't need cryptocurrency now because Mm -hmm. we're giving you this cbdc it's just like bitcoin (laughs) no it isn't digital no it isn't And there's a lot of reasons why it's not. But anyway, so the idea of the CBDC gives them, they being the central bank and the federal government thugs, total control over your money. They can ban you from buying certain things. They can punish you for doing certain things or saying certain things, having certain opinions or whatever. And as you said, David, they probably won't start with that program, but that may be coming later on once people start using the CBDC, once they start getting used to it, once they start issuing welfare payments on the CBDC or tax returns. And yeah. you know, all these government issuances will start coming in or UBI, the uh, basic income idea, all these things will likely be put on the CBDC. Yeah, they got a nice pilot of that, too, the uh, U- UBI during mm-hmm. the COVID when they sent everybody there. Yep. You know, what was it? 1200 bucks total? Oh, right? Two thing, different yeah. checks. It was yeah. like 600 and you I know, think there was like a 1200 or Or the 12 and 6 yeah. or something. I don't remember what it was. But, yeah, they got to issue folks money. Now, for me personally, uh, the first payment that I got, uh, was on a paper check, mm-hmm. and I just deposited it into my bank account. Like sure, you do with a check, but the next one came to me as a prepaid debit card. Mm. Uh, it had the Visa logo on it, I believe, or mm-hmm. Mastercard, one of the two, the top two, anyway. And uh, I had to go online and figure out where I could go to extract that amount of USD cash without paying a fee. Mm-hmm. Because if you just took it to your bank and were like, "Hey, I got this from the government. Can I have my money?" Nope, and can't they'd do be that. like, "No, we're going to take a cut and give you what's left over." You're like, well, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a government issued thing. Why are you taking a cut? Oh, well, because we bankers have to service these accounts. Sure, you see, sure. and so there was only like 
a couple of like I think pharmacies and like one grocery store that had the appropriate branded ATM mm-hmm. that you could take this card into and get your cash out without being charged a fee. The caveat here is that even though you could go to that ATM and do that without and get your full, let's say it was the $1,200, you could only pull out like 300 bucks at a time yeah. per day. You but, know, it's funny when we got our, whatever it's called, stimulus check. Yeah. Um, I'm pointing to my, my wife, Karen. She remembers this. Um, we got a paper check and we've never given the federal government on any tax forms, any bank account information hmm. ever. And then... The second one came in direct deposit to our bank account. Whoa. And we we, we oh, still haven't figured creepy. out to this day how they got the routing number, how they got the bank account. Oh, uh, that's creepy. Somehow it's all interconnected. Well, maybe when you deposited the check, they noted where it oh, went yeah, or something it could like be. that. Yeah. Uh, and you were talking about this the other night, the uh, the card that you had gotten, Captain, and the divvying up the <laughs> yeah. payments and, and all that. And it was actually in the context of ATM restrictions when you brought that story up before. And that same thing, and I don't think this article mentions it, but that same thing happened in Nigeria. And I don't know what the current status is of the ATM restrictions. But remember, people were smashing the ATMs in Nigeria during these banking riots. And part of that reason was because the Nigerian government had said, remember, you can come in and turn in your old Nigerian Naira and we'll give you the new Naira, except... We're only going to let you pull out forty dollars a day on the ATM. Yeah, so, so if you come yeah. in with like ten grand, and they're like, "Okay, there's ten grand in your account," they're like, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, "Great, can I pull ten grand out?" They're like, "Nope, nope sorry, sorry you got to go that. to the ATM, yeah. and you can only get forty bucks." <laughs> right, and the lines wrapping around the block, <laughs> right. by the way, because everybody needs the new currency to buy food, and it was an absolute nightmare. So after 108 days, according to Mises.org, the new president ended the quote experiment, and he allowed the validity of the old currency, which they were trying to get everybody to turn in and cash in, because most people don't have bank accounts in Nigeria. So most people had physical currency stashed somewhere, right? Right. And that's what they really wanted. They really wanted people to come in, get banked, become part of the system, put all your money in our system, and get out the e-Naira instead. Isn't that, didn't the U.S. demand everybody to turn in their gold at some point? They did. As a you know, when, I worked, very familiar when I worked in foreign embassies in South America. It was always a big thing that the ambassadors would talk about is uh, ungoverned spaces and informal economies. Like one of their big pushes, you know, they would subsidize foreign law enforcement agencies to try to attack people that were working in the informal economy, the black markets, mm-hmm. the gray markets, you know, uh, when they, they like to say ungoverned spaces, suggesting that everybody's like a terrorist and, <laughs> you know, an evil drug lord. Yes, in, this in babysitter these, over here is a terrorist. This lady making tacos. <laughs> yeah, and but it's actually, that's one of the great things about Latin America. You can look at the law books and think, I'm moving to a very draconian environment with a very, you know, bureaucratic, a lot of red tape. But when you go there, I'm sure Mark has noticed that mm-hmm. very little of that is enforced. There's a whole lot of what you would call informality yeah. that, yeah, you're supposed to pay taxes for, taxes for everything. It sounds worse than the U.S. on paper, but actually, uh, you know, it's it's easy to own a gun. It's easy to go to a drugstore and get whatever you want, you right. know, um, mm-hmm. and it's easy to do things without taxes. All the, the black markets down there where everyone does their shopping, when my wife and I would go shopping, there's this common thing they say, do you want... Con factura or sin factura. That means, do you want the government receipt that shows you paid your taxes, or you just want a piece of paper that says how much you paid? And the, so the above everybody board or said, the below board. Yeah, yeah. 
Scene factura. In other words, uh, give me the receipt. And even the cops that would do all their shopping in the black markets are the same things. No one's going to be dumb enough to pay the taxes. So it's amazing. You know, you can have all these regulations in these countries, but what matters is what's really enforced. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.